meet your Thunderbolts. The Thunderbolts? Are they the exciting new heroes the world needs? Thunderbolts, strike! Today makes at least half a dozen times the Thunderbolts have done the job we used to depend on the Avengers for. It allowed us to move among you, disguising who we really are. The Masters of Evil! In what is now becoming an old story, the Thunderbolts once again save the city. Enough of this hero talk. You will do as you're told. But... He's right. You may be wearing a Songbird costume, but underneath you're just screaming me. I can expose all of you right now. So you see, you really have no choice. You know what? We're done playing these parts. It's time to live these parts. No one betrays Zemo. Figures, just when we go in on this hero, and our blood runs out. Avengers, Defenders, Thunderbolts, I make any team better. We're Norman Osborn's A-team, and he's the big man in charge now. This isn't the team I used to lead. You, honey, are under arrest. You have to fight for what's right every single day, bulletproof skin or not. The Thunderbolts have worked hard to change people's minds about us, but apparently we've got a ways to go. Hey folks, and welcome back to Justice, not entirely dissimilar to Lightning. This is our second episode of a Index show where we're going to go through the entire run of Marvel's Thunderbolts. I once again would like to express my appreciation and uh, gratitude to my fellow fanholes to uh, allowing me to indulge in this because, as everyone knows, like Thunderbolts is my like you know main team like marvel team obsession or whatever so why don't i just say like who's on the show or ask you guys to tell me who's on the show hello my hair this is hair derek i am here gotten him it is justin <laughs> and yes i'm i'm mike if i if i didn't already say that i think i just kind of jumped into it but whatever um yeah so uh, this is the second episode so we're gonna you know keep it going if you if you missed the first episode and i don't know why you'd be listening to this episode if you missed the first one but what we're the setup for this show is we're gonna in the first half of the episode we, we will talk about a um an issue of thunderbolts or like you know something in chronological order of uh thunderbolts history and then in the second half of the show uh, we will talk about a uh, issue that is related to Thunderbolts that might not necessarily be, you know, part of the Thunderbolts, like, uh, under the Thunderbolts name. Like, it it might examine, like, a, a certain character from Thunderbolts history, like, in more detail, or, like, you know, it might be the first appearance of that character, or, you know, what something, like, tangently related to Thunderbolts. So, yeah, so, I mean, in this episode, we will be talking... Thunderbolts number one, and in the second half we will be talking Incredible Hulk. What is it, Derek? Uh, four forty issues, four hundred forty-nine, and then there's there's a, a couple pages in four hundred fifty that That's we'll, right, yes. we'll kind of cover since that since that kind of falls into the whole Thunderbolts category. Yeah. So thank you. Uh, I'm gonna I'll, I'll lead off with a summary of the first issue of Thunderbolts, and then we'll like get into talking about it. So. Uh, this is Thunderbolts number one with a cover date of April 1997. Uh, written by Kurt Busick and art by Mark Bagley, Vince Russell, and Joe Rosas. The story is appropriately titled Justice Like Lightning. We open a few weeks after many of Earth's heroes sacrificed themselves to defeat Onslaught. 
His army of sentinels has laid waste to New York, and parts of the city are still nothing more than rubble. As TV reporter Megan McLaren ca catches her viewers and the readers up on these events on the scene, the starving Holly Takahama watches the scene from a nearby demolished building. Left orphaned after the sentinel attack, she tries to call out to the reporter and her crew, but is grabbed and chloroformed from behind by a masked man who drags her unconscious body off. We continue with Megan McLaren's report as she runs down the threats that the Earth is now vulnerable to without the Avengers and Fantastic Four protecting them. Blastar, the Frightful Four, the Lava Men, and of course, Baron Zemo and the Masters of Evil. Megan's editor is worried that the report will scare the general public too much, but she simply points out that they're already scared by this point. Elsewhere in the city, the group of mercenary scavengers known as the Rat Pack continue their pillaging of New York's abandoned neighborhoods. Their leader, known as Number One, reminds his men that valuables like money and jewelry are secondary priorities and that they must fulfill the needs of their employer first. Suddenly, the group is interrupted by a masked and caped individual calling himself Citizen V, who tells them that he'll be arresting them for looting and desecration of corpses. When the Rat Pack asks how he will do this on his own, Citizen V dramatically reveals that he is not alone as the rest of his team, the Thunderbolts, rises behind him. The Rat Pack engage this new team of superheroes, but are rapidly outclassed by their varied powers and skills. Mach 1 makes sure to mention he is using mercy bullets on their foes, and Songbird scatters the Rat Pack with her solid sound constructs. Meanwhile, the giant Atlas is left vulnerable when his teammate Techno grandstands and fails to cover his back. Thankfully, Meteorite protects Atlas and the fight continues to go in their favor. A traffic helicopter begins recording the fight and news reaches the mayor's office as his aide Dallas Rejordan is stunned to hear about these new superheroes on the scene. The Rat Pack's number one manages to launch a craft that they had previously secured with their mysterious employer's goods, and despite Mach 1 and Songbird's best efforts, it rockets away from the scene. Citizen V confronts number one, but he engages a failsafe that blows escape tunnels in the rubble for him and his men, and the Rat Pack escapes. Citizen V decides that the day is won for now, and the Thunderbolts return to their headquarters, secreted behind and underneath an old condemned pizza parlor. Inside, Techno is unhappy that they're reduced to living in such meager accommodations, but Citizen V insists that it suits their purposes for now. Mach 1 and Songbird start to get chummy, and Meteorite mentally notes a particular psychological tendency of Songbird's. Meteorite then goes to visit Atlas, who is still stewing over Techno's grandstanding play in the battle. Atlas depends on a chain of command, and Meteorite assures him that she and Citizen V will do the thinking for him. She then zips over to Techno's quarters, where the cocky inventor is being served beer by a small robot drone he's created. Despite Techno's protests, she destroys the drone citing the need to project a certain image of them to the media, who they expect will be arriving any minute. Sure enough, Citizen V announces that they were followed to their headquarters and that news crews are gathering outside. The team greets the group of reporters and Citizen V promises to answer any questions they have. He introduces himself as the grandson of the original masked hero Citizen V from World War II and affirms his dedication to the same heroism as his grandfather. 
He then introduces the rest of the team, Mach 1, Songbird, Atlas, Meteorite, and Techno, calling them the Thunderbolts. He tells the assembled reporters that his team is ready to help in whatever way they can, but sorrowfully makes sure to add that they could never dream of replacing the Avengers in Fantastic Four. When pried on the origin of his powers, Atlas responds that they need to keep their identities and origins secret, as per usual superhero fare. Citizen B goes on to quote the poem that their team name is derived from, and states that their intent was to bolster the ranks of the world's heroes with new blood after being questioned about their experience. The group splits up and mingles with the reporters, answering questions, or in Techno and Mach 1's cases, bragging about their abilities. A report soon comes in that the Rat Pack are striking in a different part of the city, and Citizen V quickly corrals the Thunderbolts and leads them off into battle. A few blocks away, Number One sees the Thunderbolts approaching and has his men deploy jetpacks to lead the heroes on a chase through the city. Citizen V recognizes this as being led into a trap, but won't ignore the danger being re represented by the Rat Pack. As the Thunderbolts chase their foes, Dallas receives a call from the mayor, who senses a publicity coup and wants her to make sure that the Thunderbolts will be solidly linked to the city of New York in the office of the mayor. As the T-Bolts chase the Rat Pack to Liberty Island, they find that the mercenaries have indeed led them into a trap, and the super-powered wrecking crew is waiting at the base of the Statue of Liberty to take them down. The Thunderbolts leap into battle with the Wrecking Crew, and things proceed at a fairly even pace until Thunderbolt manages to KO Atlas, plunging him into the water. Likewise, Piledriver hurls a chunk of debris into Meteorite, which smashes her through the Statue of Liberty's torch, much to the horror of those watching the broadcasted fight. The Wrecker continues the desecration of the landmark by damaging the statue's foundations and threatening to topple it. Caught in a stalemate, Citizen V has his Thunderbolts back down, but when the Wrecking Crew open their stupid gobs to laugh at the hero's weakness, Mach 1 takes the opportunity to shoot gas pellets in their mouths. Wrecker, Piledriver, and Thunderbolt's heads are sealed in a solid sound bubble by Songbird, which knocks the three of them out. Bulldozer's mouth is shielded, but he falters after seeing his buddies drop. What makes him falter even more is an enraged Atlas, who grows out of the water to building size and haymakers him off the island. With the Wrecking Crew defeated, the Thunderbolts notice a distant rumbling of a crowd as everyone who has witnessed the fight in New York cheers their newest heroes. Dallas Rejordan arrives on a tugboat to the scene and offers the full cooperation of the mayor's office to Citizen V and his team. Atlas can't help but notice how attractive Dallas is as Citizen Via accepts their gratitude and notes that the job isn't done yet. As the unconscious wrecking crew are carted away to the vault, the Thunderbolts repair the damage done to the Statue of Liberty. The city reacts to these actions and the Thunderbolts debut overall with overwhelming positivity and support. Various other heroes like Spider-Man, the New Warriors, and Black Widow all voice their tentative approval of the new team on the scene. Back at their headquarters, the Thunderbolts watch TV and bask in the wave of adulation they've fostered. Citizen V suddenly enters the room, noting that their plans have succeeded beyond all expectations. The team takes note of his unmasked visage, which is shockingly hideous and scarred. 
Citizen V that agrees that it is a face that deserves to be covered with a mask, but he chooses a different one than the one he has used as a hero this very day. He reveals himself to be Baron Helmet Zemo, and his Thunderbolts to be the Masters of Evil Fixer, Beetle, Goliath, Screaming Mimi, and Moonstone. The Thunderbolts are a sham, and by the time the world realizes, it will be too late. A brief epilogue shows the kidnapped Holly Takahama sitting in a dark cell, praying for someone to rescue her. The end. So yeah, this is a pretty famous or infamous issue in general in the comic, I'd say, in like comic book history. I think like at the time or, you know, years after, even today, it's like considered one of the best like last minute twists in a comic book ever. And, uh, like, I, like, I know, Derek, you told us, like, you were, you, like, you only checked the book out after you were spoiled, like, on yeah. the twist. Yeah, yeah, that's, it's that's like, true. I mean, I, I'll, I'll, I'll sort of save some details about the, the full-fledged story, because we'll get into it with the Incredible Hulk stuff, but, I mean, that, this was something that I did not check out until I understood the 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 twist basically like so and and i i do feel like it's important that you're mentioning this because i i think this was not something that was i mean i you know i probably read about it in wizard or some magazine but this was like months after that issue had come out you know like when i when i started buying thunderbolts off the comic book stands i i, I i'm sure i've explained this in the last episode it was at a store where they you know put the the new issues up front but you could still if you dug deep enough in the stack on the comic shelf you could you know basically you know whether it was issue four or issue three whenever i started you know i could dig back through that stack and find issues two and issues one and i'm pretty sure wizard was really pimping you know mark wade and andy kubert's k or adam kubert's kzar and Busick's and Bagley's Thunderbolts, and and because I read those articles and was really, I think I had a thirst to read Marvel comics, but I was so, I mean, this is 97, like, this is long, like, long after the, the speculator bubble burst, like, this is, <laughs> like, where you're, like, sort of desperate to, you know, it's like, I don't know, from my point of view, I was like, man, everything from Marvel sucks, you know, like, and, and it was like, like, that was really my, you know, because it was like, you, you felt like you were hornswaggled with the clone saga, and you had just been reading, like, all this crap with Onslaught and all this other stuff, and, and you know, they got rid, you know, basically that the, the culmination of that was they, they basically wiped out the Fantastic Four and the Avengers, and Hulk was like, you know, Bruce Banner went to the Heroes Reborn thing, and the Hulk Hulk stayed behind, and you're like, how does that work? And you know, so so like, there the, for me there was some disenfranchisement with with Marvel comics in general, and I think when you know, I'll, I'll include you know Kazar in the mix too. But when Kazar and Thunderbolts came along, and people were saying, hey, these books are really good, you should check them out. I I pretty much went, all right, you know what? I'm fed up with all this other stuff that I normally read. What could it hurt to check these books out? And I, I will say, you know, with the exception of, you know, Thanos, you know, getting beat up by Kazar, like, it, it turned out to be pretty good, you know? Like, so, so, and I, I would recommend both those books to, to people even now, you know? Yeah. 
Like, I, I fortunately, like, I've told this story before, but I, I managed, I guess fortunately, like, I didn't read this issue till maybe six months, maybe, after it first came out. And, like, I, I actually had the issue of Wizard with the Thunderbolts article in it that you, like, mentioned. But I think I just skipped over it because it's like, I don't care about mm. these new guys mm. or whatever. So I didn't, like, get spoiled on it. And then, like, one day, like I told you guys before, my comic book guy just, like, slapped the number one issue on top of the stack of comics I was buying. And he was like, here, buy this. Like, I'll give you a discount. Just buy it. It's really good. And I was like, okay. Like, I was like, I don't want to look, like, lame in front of this guy, so I'll just buy it, you know? And then You were were peer pressured into buying Thunderbolts number one. So, like, and then I read it, and I was like, oh, cool. Like, I know these guys. Like... You know, I used to think they were lame, but now they're cool because, like, I'm in on the ground floor or whatever. But, yeah, so, I yeah, that I was, I guess I was fortunate that I missed all those, like, uh, spoilers and whatever. Well, I think, I think they must have done a good job at keeping this a secret until the issue came out, you know, because. Yeah. I, I don't think this was spoiled before the issue I think, I like, think, like I think these days, just to get people to buy stuff, they would yeah. they would spoil it. Well, it's like before you even bought the issue. And like the back of the the uh, Thunderbolts like classic volume one trade, there's like a you know a, a write up by like Kurt Busick about all the tribulations and trials they went through to like keep this secret. And because it, it was like all of course all the marketing people at Marvel at that time was like this book's never gonna sell unless you give them the hook like ahead of time or whatever, and mm. uh, and then I think they caught like some solicitation for Incredible Hulk like uh, four forty nine like where it's like you know it's like the Hulk fights a bunch of supervillains pretending to be superheroes and it was like no no you can't write that like in the solicitation I think. Like, Kurt Busick, like, says, oh, Peter David caught that for us. Like, that could have ruined everything, mm. so. But, like, Justin, were you, were you, like, did you get, like, hit by the shock ending, or was it spoiled for you? No, I, I was hit by it. Like, I remember reading a little blurb in Wizard about Thunderbolts. It it did not spoil the ending. I think it was just kind of like a hype piece or whatever. Mm. And I kind of decided I was not going to read it. But then, and I guess I'll probably get into this with Hulk 449, but, like, I was reading Hulk at the time. I, you know, read their appearance in that issue, and I decided, okay, I'm going to check out this number one. So, I like, I remember buying it off uh, Comic Rack at, like, B. Dalton Books, reading it in the car on the way back home. And I get to those, like, last couple pages, and I was like, wait, what? So, like, they're not... They're not superheroes. They're the masters of evil. I was just like, I like closed the comic and immediately like read it again to see if I like missed some clues or something that I should have picked up on. And I was just like, man, this is cool. Like, I'm glad I picked this up. And then, you know, like you guys are saying, I'm like, I'm so surprised that like this ending wasn't spoiled. You know, like you guys are saying, like, it's a miracle, especially during that time that. You know, it, it wasn't like spoiled in Wizard or you know Comic Buyer's Guide or or whatever. Like like, but yeah, it was a total shock. I was like, Baron Zemo is a Citizen V guy, and I was like, oh man, like I I kind of like this Citizen V guy. Like I I like these um, I like the personalities that these quote unquote heroes had. Like they had some good you know personal interactions, and there there were some 
conflicts, you know, between some of the members, you know, like especially Goliath and um, uh, Fixer there, you know, aka Techno or whatever. I was just kind of like, well, this could be interesting. Yeah, and then you get to that page and you're just like, what? But but yeah, like that was that was a great moment. Like I think of all the comics I've read over the years, like that's that's one of those like shock endings that I like will probably stick in my head for forever. Yeah, that's like I, I like I, I really appreciate the lengths that it, like I said, like Kurt Busick and those guys went to like keep this a secret. Like and it's a miracle like this this series didn't come out like a few years later like when the internet age really started to get into full swing because you know it would have been like spoiled immediately then oh yeah but, yeah. yeah i mean yeah. You, you would probably see something on like facebook or cbr like you know guess who shows up in thunderbolts number one hint it's baron zemo and you're just like oh my god <laughs> don't yeah yeah <laughs> click our article please <laughs> But anyway, like, what do you, okay, like, now that we've discussed, like, the shocking twist, like, what do you guys think of this as, like, a, like, debut issue, like, altogether? Like, I, I like it. Like, like, Kurt Busick is a, you know, a stand-up, you know, classic, continuity-minded, like, uh, writer, and, you know, he knows that comic books are, superhero comics are primarily about action, too, so there's, like, two very good action scenes in this issue as well, and, you know, Mark Bagley is a, you know, fantastic artist, and uh, it's, you can never, it's never hard to follow his storytelling, and he does great uh, superhero team fight scenes, so, like, I think this is, like, the full package for the most part, but, like, what do you, like, specific thoughts about this issue, like, Derek, go. Well, my, my specific thoughts are, even revisiting it now, how wonderfully it holds up as a single story. I, I think, you know, I mean, we're, we're, we're old school comic fans, so we'll constantly bitch about this till we get old, gray, and, and die. But, like, this whole written-for-the-trade stuff, you know, when you read a first issue that's written for the trade, it's like you're reading chapter one of you know, six chapters, essentially, and you don't, it, it's hard to judge a story when you don't have the full story, yet this is part of an ongoing narrative, but you got a full story with a beginning, a middle, and an end. You know, they set up these new characters, they had the conflict with the Rat Pack, then they go on to introduce them to the public at large and the news media, and then after that, you have them fight the Wrecking Crew before beating up the wrecking crew was, you know, basically a joke, you know, and, and so they, they had these obstacles to overcome and, and they did it. And then when, when you, when you're finally like, e even if you had your reservations about a new group of superheroes and you weren't on their side to start with by the beginning of the issue, after they overcome both those obstacles, you're kind of like finally feeling comfortable with them and go, yeah, maybe these guys are going to work out after all and that's when they give you basically the left hook to the face where they're like bam like guess what they're not you know superheroes they're the fucking masters of evil and like like you said Kurt Busiek continuity minded you know and and also you know has a great sense of timing and and use those necessary elements of action sequences to get you on these characters side before he pulled the rug out from under you. So, I mean, I, I think this is extremely well written. Uh, you know, e even if it wasn't spoiled, you know, had I read this, it, it would have had me hooked. But I think, I, you know, it's weird because, you know, you, you 
you can kind of see the marketing people's point of view. Like, I, I have to say, like, like you know, and I'll, I'll get more deep into this as as we get into you know the the second half of the show with the the guest spot of the Thunderbolts and the Incredible Hulk. But I I, I will go up to bat for the marketing people only to say I would have never picked this up had it not gotten a write up in Wizard. Yeah, that's fair. But that doesn't but that doesn't take away from from the impact of the story and, and that the art is excellent, the writing's excellent, you know, and it's a top, top-notch book. And, and I can understand why this would be, you know, one of your favorite superhero teams. I can understand why somebody would, would get hooked on following this book from month to month. And, and again, this is sort of pre the, you know, writing stories for the trade period, but yet it, it still kind of adheres to a, sequential sense of storytelling that most of us old school comic fans are familiar with. I mean, you do get a full story in this first issue, but again, they are setting up plots and, and subplots for, you know, future issues, you know, whether it's, you know, stuff between Atlas and the, the mayor's liaison or, you know, songbird and Mach one, or, you know, tension between, you know, Atlas and techno or, you know, fixer and Goliath or whatever, you know, like all these kind of things. So, you know, that that I think is, it, you know, I, 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 I don't have anything but good things to say about this story. So I love how like like Kurt Busick even takes the opportunity to like patch past continuity that doesn't have anything to do with this issue. Like where like I think Citizen V like is fighting the wrecker and he's like, didn't you guys like get beaten up by like Code Blue, like the SWAT team or something like just recently? Like and. I forgot, like, the Frecker's like, yeah, because we were, like, depowered or something at that time. And, you know, there's a little editorial note. Like, to see what he's talking about, go read whatever. But I, it's it was like, like, I think it was, like, Iron Fist and something yeah. else. Like, you know, that's I love stuff like that. But what about you, Justin? I think it was things like that that kind of got me into the book. Because, I mean, you guys know me. I love continuity. I have to make sense of things in my head. So in those first few pages when the reporter was like mentioning the lava man and, you know, all these other guys that are out there running around, I was like, well, cool. Like someone remembered the lava man. I was like, that was a really cool touch. And I was kind of, you know, a little pleased by that because that's, you know, an Avengers villain group that you don't really hear a lot of anymore or even back then, to be honest. And then I also like, you know, towards the end of the book where they were interviewing, you know, Spider-Man and the New Warriors and all those other guys. And I was like, okay, so that's cool. You've got other heroes approving of these heroes. And, you know, at that point in the book, I was approving of these heroes. And then you get hit with, you know, hit in the face with the reveal. But, yeah, like like you said, Mike, um, I think a lot of it has to do with um, Bagley's artwork. Like, that really kind of drew me into it, too. I mean, I had read a lot of his Spider-Man stuff, and I already liked his work, but I think it was more, I don't know, like dynamic in this issue. I, I guess maybe it had to be since it was a number one, and he was, you know, trying to, you know, display the Thunderbolts in all their, in all their glory before you got hit with the reveal. But, um, yeah, just as I was like, I just remember sitting in the back of the car and reading each page, and I was like, you know, this is good. Like, I like this. And I, I was genuinely surprised that I liked it. I was like, man, like, maybe I should, you know, take a chance more often on, you know, unknown stuff. Like, I, I love the way he draws, like, 
like people like Citizen V or even like Baron Zemo's mask, like you can always tell what emotion they're expressing. Like the way he draws like the masks and stuff, like you can kind of see Citizen V's like face through his mask and like everything is super like if you look at my avatar, he's like he's like faking being sad about the Avengers. Right, right, right. Which I thought was a funny moment in this issue where the reporters are like, you know, are you guys going to replace the Avengers and Fantastic Four? And Citizen V, like, kind of looks down. He's all downturn at the mouth. And he's like, you know, we could never replace them. They were the greatest. Like He's like, he's like no one could replace the Avengers. No one. <laughs> like, and you're just like, oh, okay. But it's, it, it's it, funny to read. It's funny to read this with the pre-knowledge too, because it kind of kind of makes you chuckle or gives you a giggle. Because you're you, like in in, kinda, in in his head, he's probably like Dunkoffs, like yeah, yeah. It's like, but um, you, you know what else too? Justin mentioned the continuity-mindedness of of music when they're going through the the list of you know, like basically the reporter is is doing the whole exposition, you know. Uh, news network thing and, and and talking about how you know this is just what happened you know the onslaught thing happened we lost the avengers we lost the ff and you know while onslaught the menace of onslaught has been defeated it's like and and the sentinels that attack new york right that that we still have all these other possible threats you know we've got the frightful four there's the lava man there's all these things and interspersed between that they mention the masters of evil and, like, to me, that's, in other words, it's like, that's a rock-solid piece of writing because the reveal doesn't come from nowhere. Like, even if you didn't know who the Masters of Evil were, at least he introduces the idea, the notion of them to anyone who picked up this comic within the first, like, two or three pages. So it's kind of like that thing where I'm always bitching and moaning about the, you know, Jeff Lobian mysteries where, it, you know, the, the, the solution to the mystery comes out of left field and he never set it up in the first place. And you're like, well, that's kind of unfair because how are you, you know, how are you supposed to know that, you know, the red Hulk was Thunderbolt Ross if he's already killed a robot Thunderbolt Ross? Like that's kind of, you know, it's like, dude, that's not fair. You know what I mean? Like, like we're, yeah. we're, it's like the, those kind of mysteries, like, don't really have a rock solid basis. Whereas for me in this, it is rock solid. I mean, it's, it's set up in the first two or three pages when the reporter goes down the list of all those villains. It's almost like, here are all the suspects. Like, even though you don't know you're reading a mystery, here are all the suspects. These are who they could possibly be. And by the time you get to the end of it, it's like, check it out. Like I set it up and, and now, you know, I've closed it. You know, I've, I've, I've kind of hit the homer. I I forgot who said it or, or wrote it, but like, I think someone said like the key to writing a good mystery is like your clues have to be misdirections and like a bad mystery. Like your clues are outright lies. And like mm, that's like Jeff mm. Loeb's like, yeah, mysteries. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He totally he, he lies to you, and then and and then it's like whoop! I totally fooled you. It's like no, but you lied to me. Like that's not the same thing as misdirecting you. You know, like it's not the same thing as a red herring or whatever. And I think like 
other things I took away from this was I, I wanted to compliment you on your choice, Mike, to have us read the flashback issue in the first episode, because as little of a time as, as we spent with Jolt in this issue, like the, just reading that her parents were crushed. Like I, I think starting with the flashback issue gave that a lot more weight to me than it ever would have had before. And, and then, you know, of course there's the part where she gets, you know, assaulted by the guy with the chloroform napkin or whatever. And like, all I can think about is like, old Linda Carter Wonder Woman episodes where it's like, that is like the Wonder Woman weakness of choice where it's like, you know, somebody, some, some Nazi was always coming behind her with like chloroform or whatever. So I'm like, well, if it's good enough for Wonder Woman, I guess it's good enough for Jolt to get knocked out by chloroform or whatever. But like that, th those were some of the things that were, were going through my mind, you know, when I was reading this with, with fresh eyes, I guess, you know, since, I, since it's been probably a long time since I've read this. so And, and I just did want to say to you that I, I appreciated the chance to have that vantage point, you know, kind of that, that in the flashback, at least we got to see her with her family at, in a happier moment. And then that, that sort of, they weren't just, you know, Star Trek Generations victims, I guess is what I refer to them as. It, they weren't just people on a tech screen where it's like, how many lives, Mr. Data? Four billion, sir. And it's just like, yeah, but we don't we don't see those lives. We don't even have any connection with those lives. Whereas in this case, because of the context of how we frame this, I felt like I really did have a connection to the lives that were mentioned as being lost. So that that too, I think, was, you know, it, you know, it just made it for a richer reading experience. Yeah, definitely. I like, yeah, like an, another, like, sort of thing, like you were t t saying how, like, stuff is, like, built up, like, like Holly's whole, like, uh, plot or subplot here is, like, is built up here, and, like, you don't, you don't learn the identity of the Rat Pack's employer, I think, until issue four, where, like, you know, they, they finally deal with, like, Holly. It's like, and to find out more, you'll have to listen to... Episode five yeah. of Justice Not Entirely Like Lightning. Yeah. One of the things I like, you know, going back now and reading this years later is you can see the seeds for some little stories, whether it's, you know, Songbird and, you know, Mach 1 or some of Atlas's issues, whether it's with Techno or his kind of anger issues, like when he went all, you know, Hulk angry, basically, yeah, at yeah. the Statue of Liberty. Like, I, I kind of appreciate that stuff more, you know, now, now, now that I'm going back years later, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a little, like, you know, seed of that little idea. Yeah, I like that. Well, it's, it's interesting, his dialogue to Meteorite, you know, a.k.a. Moonstone, when he says, look, I'm, I'm kind of a take orders type of guy. You know, I, I believe in the chain of command, you know, and, and that you know, techno basically violating that, like threw him off his game, you know, and, and, and that again, you know, leads me to think of, oh, well, we just read, you know, flashback Thunderbolts where, you know, Eric Jostin was a military man working for Zemo's father, you know? So you're like, oh, well, yeah, that, that, that seems to line up now to me in my head where I'm like, oh yeah, he would, he would basically elevate and, and kind of, you know, suspend the chain of command as, you know, the, the, 
pinnacle of, of how things are supposed to be. Like, he would have that expectation, so it makes sense to me. Yeah, it's, like, just another, like... Another example of, like, how well-chosen I think the cast is, like, when, you know, Kurt Busiek picked these characters, like, everyone kind of interlocks in a very, like, pleasing way, and, or, like, either interlocks or conflicts with each other, and it's, like, you know, Songbird kind of mentions, like, oh, like, I'm uneasy with flying and stuff, because, you know, Screaming Mimi never flew, like, you know, she, she just got these new powers where she can make the wings and fly, and then you've got, you know, Mach 1, like Abe Jenkins, who is like an aviation expert. So, of course, he's like the ideal person to teach her how to fly. And, you know, that kicks off their relationship. So, you know, it's like every character is like perfectly chosen to like, you know, interact in this situation and in a team dynamic. And I, I really appreciate picking like, you know, his uh, Kurt Busiek's care and picking the team because, you know, you got like we always rag on it. But, you know, you've got people like Bendis who just like, well, I'm going to make this team and like his teams usually have no kind of like poetry or you know, well, I think I think I think probably the phrase you're looking for is all these teammates complement each other very well, and and you know when it's just a random hodgepodge of cool characters that are stuck together, it's like that that complementing doesn't necessarily occur, you know, because yeah. it, it's not thought of for the it, the story is not prioritized. What's prioritized is maybe you know the marketability or the the cool factor or the sales figures or whatever. It's like, you know, oh, you know, Larry, tell me, what are the top three selling books? It's like, uh, Infinity War, Larry. Uh, Wolverine, Larry. And War Machine is doing really good numbers these days. It's like, okay, well, let's put all those guys in Secret Defenders. And then that's sure to sell. Even though, you know, of course, you know, this is something that me and Justin didn't talk about on the, the Marvel The Untold Stories podcast but there there were lines of dialogue from the creators that went we knew that book was complete fucking horseshit yeah. like you know and it's like the only reason why it was made was because they just put all those you know top selling characters into a book hoping that that book would then reflect those same sales figures whereas this you know the, the story is prioritized you know the the characters are picked because they complement one another and and because there's a you know, a reason and, and uh, you know, essential story elements that requires those characters to come together. And I'm sure, I'm sure, like every writer, you know, Kurt Busiek probably had to do some fine-tuning and some gelling. And, you know, if you if you got all, you know, super critical and nitpicky, you know, you could find flaws in, in certain things. But but I think, you know, it is, it, it's competent enough that, you know, I, if there are any, I don't see them. And even if there are, are like you're you're willing to forgive them because of how well written the story is. Yeah, you know, Mike, you were saying that uh, you know your guy was like, "Hey, kid, buy this. I'll make you a good deal." Like, I I'm pretty sure, like when I went to pick up some comics, my comic guy was like, "Hey, kid, buy this," and it was Secret Defenders, and I was like, "Nah, <laughs> that's okay." <laughs> it's got Spider Woman and Darkhawk and yeah warm machine it's got a shiny cover kid come on yeah. i'm like no i'm good i'll just take spider-man 2099 thanks <laughs> no i wanted to mention um the poem that gives this issue its name and by in a larger sense gives this podcast like sort of it's like inspiration and its name 
isn't like he Kurt Fusick attribute or has Citizen V attribute it to Thomas Randolph. But apparently it's like no one can find any proof that that guy wrote this poem or where that line, you know, justice like lightning ever should appear or whatever comes from. And I guess like Kurt Busiek admitted that like Roy Thomas used it in an old issue of Captain Marvel and that's where he sourced it from. But like they can't actually find the real poem that it comes from. Nice. Kurt Busiek should just say. I consider Roy Thomas the uh, originator of this quote. <laughs> hey, might as well, yeah. <laughs> mm. what? another small little bit at the end that I thought I always think is kind of funny is where, you know, the, the Thunderbolts are, like, watching the TV report on them and, like, what they did with the Statue of Liberty, and it's like... You know, there are no even no complaints from like the city's workers for the repair job they did, yeah. like on the Statue of Liberty, like the non-union repair jobs, like saying they'll let it like slide for the sake of like unity this one time. Like I always thought that was pretty funny. You, you know what? I, the only thing I don't I don't know if I want to get into this too much, but there there is there was the notion when I was rereading this that them repairing the Statue of Liberty felt like. It, all I could think of is, you know, and I guess this is always going to be a constant when, when you're looking at, you know, New York pre-9-11, but, like, I I always, you know how, like, when bad things would happen, you know, superheroes would just fix it? And I, I remember there was that collected book of, of works that came out after 9-11, and there's this really kind of, it's, like, sad kind of thing where it's like it's a kid's version of what happened to the world trade centers and and you know it shows what happened but then it's got all these images of like superman and the justice league and they just like rebuild it like in two seconds or whatever and like it's through the lens of you know a child where it's almost like it looks like if i recall correctly like it might look like it was drawn in crayon or something like that and like i, I guess in some sense like watching that moment where the Thunderbolts basically, like... Because, you know, the Wrecking Crew, like, they throw rubble and everything, and it's like the, the, the torch hand of the Statue of Liberty gets lopped off, and there's damage to the, you know, the, the entire structure. And it, it's almost like at one point, you know, the Wrecker is almost going to topple the entire statue. And it's like, it's like one of those things where you're kind of like, you're not supposed to think about it, you know? You're just supposed to be like, oh, yeah, superheroes, they, they fix it. Like, who cares? But, like, I guess now, like, there is that thought in the back of my head where I'm kind of like, that probably couldn't really happen no matter who, you know, whether it was union workers or superheroes or whatever. It's like, you're thinking about it, like, if somebody, like, destroyed the torch hand of the Statue of Liberty, I, I don't think it'd be as simple as, like, oh, we'll just, you know, crane it back up there. yeah. And like heat vision it together, and it'll be all good as new. Lickety split, you know. Like I like, and 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 again, that's you know, it's a comic book, and there's certain aspects to it where you're you're not really supposed to dwell or or think on that too much. But I, I for the briefest of moments, like I I did delve into that in my you know in my head thoughts, you know, where I was like, well, that probably wouldn't really happen, but. You know, it's like, you know, you kind of let it slide. You know, you just yeah. kind of like, all right, yeah, it's just the way it's things like, are. You know, it's like Techno's like a super genius or whatever. 
and like Mach 1 and Citizen V are engineers, but it's like, you know, there are different kinds of engineers. Like yeah, just because yeah. Mach 1 is an engineer doesn't mean he knows how to fix a statue. But yeah, yeah. One other uh, little piece of continuity or, or building for a future subplot that Busick does here is uh, when they kind of ask Black Widow what she thinks and she's kind of, you know, she's like, well, yeah, if they're here to help, then fine, sure. And then she kind of, like, dismisses herself. But then, you know, seven or eight issues from now, Black Widow will... No, I, actually, I think it's even sooner than that. Like, Black Widow shows up and shows she has some suspicion about the Thunderbolts. And, like, it, it turns into, like, an investigation into them. And, like, I, like I, I just think, like, that's another bit of Busick, like, you know, setting up his dominoes. It also was kind of, like, a sad scene in the sense that, like, you know, not not to knock the character, but just that, you know, she's like the surviving member of a, a team disaster, you know, where they're like, Black Widow, Black Widow, you totally fucked all the Avengers because they totally got killed by Onslaught while you were there and you did absolutely nothing. What do you have to say about the Thunderbolts? You know, it's like, I, I think they're cool, I guess. Okay, great. You know, like, that, yeah. that's kind of how that scene went down, you know. I, I'll have more to say about that when we get to those issues because mm-hmm. that whole, that whole little thing of like you know she just kind of gave up and didn't reform the avengers that always bothered me but like i'll i'll expound upon that in in another episode of this show doesn't like like this is a little off topic i guess but doesn't i'm sure it i think it's gert busick but doesn't like during during his run of avengers like he do a like backup story about black widow about why she didn't like or she tried to reform the avengers but she like could just couldn't like where she was, yes. you know, going around asking, like, it was just, like, her and Hercules left. And yeah. then, like, you know, she was going around asking, like, hey, Stingray, you know, you want to join a new Avengers? And he was like, no, I don't want to. And she's like, oh, okay. <laughs> I, I think Stingray's that was like, in... No, I don't want to. <laughs> I think I think that was in one of the annuals when uh, yeah. Heroes Return began. Yeah. I is that, that, is I that like, the annual where they, like, try to explain, like, what... Cap shield is made of or whatever like when they write to jarvis and ask him stuff is that like dear jarvis why is black widow a dumb bitch and didn't reform the (laughs) avengers and it's like well master so-and-so first off black widow is not a dumb bitch she's a extraordinary woman Second of all, this is what Master Hercules and Master Natasha did when <laughs> Onslaught killed everyone. Yeah, I remember. That's like the same like annual where it's like uh, one of the questions is like, hey, when like Tony Stark went into Onslaught, he was a teenager. <laughs> but when he came out, he was an adult. Explain it like Jarvis. And Jarvis was like, well, you know, it was some magic bullshit. I don't know. Like Franklin Richards. Motherfuckers, Franklin Richards. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, like I, I love like Kurt Busiek's one of my favorite writers because he takes the time to address stuff like that. So. Yeah, yeah. And does anyone else have you know any other uh, comments on this issue? Like, I think I'm good. Okay, good. Yeah, like this is the first issue, like a, a, a historic issue of you know a, a long running comic book series, and I, I think. We're all big fans of it, so like, and I, I enjoyed uh, talking about it. So we're gonna take a little commercial break, and when we come back, this was the Thunderbolts' first like issue of their own comic. But when we come back, we're going to discuss their very first chronological appearance. So stay tuned for that. 
Who here likes comic books? Who likes superheroes? Who likes superhero comic books? From the 90s! That's what I thought. Hey there! I'm Nathaniel Wayne from the Council of Geeks, and though I've always loved superheroes, the only time I was buying monthly issues was during the much maligned 1990s. I've decided to go through my personal collection, issue by issue, and in my own little way, try to answer the question, were 90s comics really that bad? Chances are the answer will be yes, but I think these books deserve another chance, and they're going to get it on 90s Comics Retrial, part of the Council of Geeks podcast, available on iTunes and at 90scomicsretrial.wordpress.com. Hello, and welcome back to the second half of our second episode. We're about to talk about Incredible Hulk number 449, which is, in fact, the first chronological appearance of the Thunderbolts. Uh, this is obviously before, you know, their big secret was revealed, and um, this issue... Uh, Originally, I guess Peter David was going to introduce like a separate team of superheroes to fight the Hulk, but like things like sort of coincided and they were like, hey, let's like cross promote this upcoming book we've got coming. So like, you know, Peter David agreed to, you know, play ball and introduce the Thunderbolts here. So, uh, yeah, Derek, why don't you, you know, read the summary? Yeah, yeah. So I, I've shamelessly stolen the summary for these issues from the Marvel Wikia. I'm actually going to read the the summary for Incredible Hulk 449 and 450, or at least you know the segments that deal with the the Thunderbolts for 450. But uh, Incredible Hulk 449, uh, the cover date is January 1997. The on sale date is November 20th, 1996. It had a cover price of 150, and the title is Introducing the Thunderbolts. The writer was Peter David. The penciler was Mike Diodato Jr., inker Tom Wegrizin, letterer Richard Stockings, colorist Glennis Oliver, or, or Ween um, later, and... Somewhere in the western United States, the Hulk and Janice Jones leap across the desert when they are struck by a missile. As they are sent flying towards a small town, Janice is saved from a fatal fall by an armored man calling himself Mach 1, who thinks that she is a prisoner of the Hulk. However, he is surprised when she turns around and blasts him with her staff. Meanwhile, the Hulk lands in the middle of a rodeo where he's confronted by Meteorite, Techno, Atlas, and Songbird, members of a new superhero team calling themselves the Thunderbolts. When they order the Hulk to surrender, they are surprised when the Hulk raises his hands. Techno orders Songbird to use her powers to create a cage of pure sound around their target. Having had a past history with the Hulk, Meteorite approaches the imprisoned Hulk and asks him to lower his arms. When he doesn't comply, she calls their leader, Citizen V, and tells him to come immediately. While not far away, Mach 1 departs his battle with Janice, who follows after him to see what he's up to. Meanwhile, in Virginia, 
Colonel St. Lawrence meets with Henry Gyrick to discuss the Hulk's latest ultimatum. Leave him alone or he will retaliate by destroying a major city. While discussing their next move, they are interrupted by one of Sergeant Lawrence's troops who comes in to tell them about the Hulk's battle with the Thunderbolts and how he seemingly has surrendered to them. Back in Arizona, the Thunderbolts continue to contain the Hulk and wait for their leader, Citizen V, to arrive. When questioned by the leader of the Thunderbolts, the Hulk explains he wasn't surrendering, just waiting for the entire team to be in one place. He then thunderclaps his hands together, destroying the solid sound cage, and tries to leap away. He is struck by another one of Mach 1's missiles, sending him into a crash landing on top of a nearby dam. As the Thunderbolts head out after him, the Hulk wonders how that shot could have hurt him when he feels stronger than ever. It is then that the Hulk notices that his chest is still bleeding. When the Thunderbolts catch up, Janice also arrives to lend the Hulk a hand. While she is busy with Mach 1 and Meteorite, the Hulk charges at Atlas and Techno. It's during this fight that the Hulk realizes that he has heard Meteorite's voice somewhere before. However, the Hulk has become fed up with the fight, and since the Thunderbolts have sworn themselves to protect innocent people, the Hulk smashes open the dam flooding the city below. With no other choice, the Thunderbolts have to go into the town and rescue people from drowning and stopping the dam from overflowing. This allows the Hulk and Janice to make their escape. When Meteorite questions Citizen V about going after the Hulk, the leader of the Thunderbolts tells her that they need to prioritize. Not far away, Janice asks what the battle was all about, but before the Hulk can answer, his chest starts bleeding again and he collapses to the ground. And that's the end of 449. And then we'll just delve into maybe the first couple pages of Incredible Hulk 450, since it does have a Citizen V cameo. And this is in the story. It's sort of a double-sized, you know, super 450th issue type thing. It's actually two stories. So the story Hooray for the Hulk is what we're dealing with. And that was written by Peter David. And the penciler is Jeff Rebner. In retaliation for the Thunderbolts' attack on him, the Hulk has come to Los Angeles to attack the city, starting with the sign on the Hollywood Hills. The Gamma Spawn brute breaks and rewords the sign so that it reads Hulk instead of Hollywood. As the military and LAPD arrive on the scene, the Hulk takes a lull on the violence. Janice Jones demand they talk about how the Hulk collapsed after their battle with the Thunderbolts. However, the Hulk isn't interested in talking about it. The argument is suddenly interrupted when the military sends up helicopters to attack the Hulk. Meanwhile, in Arizona, Citizen V is being questioned by the press over the Thunderbolts' failed attempt to capture the Hulk. After answering the reporter's questions, the leader of the Thunderbolts is approached by Colonel St. Lawrence. She is a little surprised that Citizen V somehow knows who she is, as though they have met before. When she questions why the Thunderbolts attacked the Hulk unannounced, she begins to question what the group's motivations are. Citizen V retorts by asking her, What does anybody want? No, he probably didn't say it like that, but you know. Anyway, that is the, the synopsis for Incredible Hulk 449, and just the cameo bit for 450, just, you know, for completionist's sake. So that those are the, you know, 
the the moments in that issue that deal with Citizen V and the Thunderbolts. So I, I guess for me, I, I just I, I was kind of hinting at this in the first half of the segment, but I sort of have to preface this with explaining sort of my history with the Incredible Hulk, and just so people know. I really, really enjoy the Peter David run on the Hulk. It's a long run. It's like 10, 11 years worth of issues. At some point, I owned a physical copy of every single issue in the Peter David run. When I was a kid, of course, I didn't have every single issue of the Peter David run, and I kind of collected it sporadically because, of course, you know, distribution, you know, sometimes you were buying things just off you know, the spinner rack and stuff like that. So I, I was, I tried to be as loyal as I could to the, the gray Mr. Fix-It Hulk, because that's kind of when I really heavily started reading the Peter David run. I would buy uh, back issues, or sometimes I'd read issues at like the Union City Library of the McFarlane Hulk run. And I stuck with it because it turned into like, it, it was like McFarlane was the artist and then Jeff Perves was the artist and then Dale Keown was the artist, and by that point he had become, you know, they brought back the Savage Hulk and the Grey Hulk, and then they all merged into the Professor Hulk, and so I stuck with the book pretty faithfully, probably up until Dale Keown left. Like, as it led into issue 400, it's like Dale Keown did less and less of the artwork because I think he was off doing you know, the first issue of Pit for Image or something like that, and then I have to admit, after that, like, I kind of sporadically, you know, I didn't, I wasn't quite as faithful because then I think it was Gary Frank who did the art on it. And I bought issues of the Hulk after that. It wasn't like every single month or anything like that. But I think things that got me back into it were, you know, like the, the wedding between Rick Jones and Marlowe. And I, I remember buying a number of issues after that. And then I think what super turned me off, I was like, kind of super excited that Liam Sharp was coming on to the Hulk, but then when they sort of walked back the Professor Hulk and introduced what they kind of referred to as the Savage Banner, like, that was kind of the moment where I was like, alright, fuck this book, I'm out. Like, this doesn't make any sense to me anymore. Like, now, when the Professor Hulk gets mad, he turns into a skinny little wimp, and people slap him around. Like, I was like, I, I get it. Like, Peter David's trying to shake shit up, but I was like, I'm fucking out. I can't do this book anymore. So I stopped. Um, and then, as we're discussing, the onslaught thing is what kicked off, like, all this stuff. This onslaught event led to the Thunderbolts, led to all this other stuff. And I was picking up a lot of the tie-ins. And Incredible Hulk had, you know, Phase 1, Phase 2, like, whatever they were called, these tie-in books. So I read those and that was closer to around the issues that we're discussing here and when i was at dnr comics in union city and this was a comic store that was i mean it was probably a mistake because it was right across the street from james logan high school so when i did car i would just say you know what after school pick me up at the comic shop like, that's what I would do. Like, I'd be like, I'm going to the comic store or whatever, you know, and it's like you would just walk across the street from the high school and hang out in the comic store and your books or whatever. And then instead of getting picked up from, you know, the school parking lot or whatever, picked up by my parents or whoever, right, at parking lot in that shopping center where the comic store was and everything. And then eventually, probably like by my junior, senior year of my self school, and I'd sometimes go to that DM 
But I remember being four and seeing the cover, Incredible Hulk 449, and, and on the cover, it's a the Thunderbolts! And this was just after I spent all my money on this Onslaught stuff, and I was pissed off that they killed the Avengers and the Fantastic Four. I mean, I know they didn't really kill them, but you know what I mean. Like, they, you know, I was reading, you know, Ron Garney, Mark Wade, Cap, and I was like, what the fuck? Now I gotta read Rob Liefeld and Bitch Tits and all this other stuff? Like, what? Like, this sucks, right? And so I'm all grumpy about that, and I see the cover, and it's the Hulk fighting this new superhero team called the Thunderbolts, and I'm like, what? Who the fuck are the Thunderbolts? I'm not buying this fucking shit. I'm not, you know, what, they kill off the real heroes and now I gotta buy this fucking book with some other fucking stupid team? Who the fuck are the, fuck the Thunderbolts? I don't, you know, and I was all mad and I did not buy that issue of the Hulk. Fast forward maybe, I don't know, years later, I did eventually buy most of these Peter David run issues and I did read them and everything. I think some of the better parts of it after that were you know, like the the Adam Andy Kubert run or whatever. You know, War Hulk Apocalypse, like a, a bunch of stuff like that. Like I really enjoyed, and you know, so so there there were still good issues of the Hulk to be had after this. And you know, Mike Diodato is a good artist, and and you know Gary Frank, and you know, so I filled in a lot of the issues that I was missing and everything. But I just wanted to set that up because this sort of explains my view of the Thunderbolts with out the hook and and that was you know given the uh, on sale date of november 20th 1996 in 1996 before i read that wizard article all i saw was a bunch of wannabe image looking teen guys who i didn't know who they were who had no street cred with me quote unquote and i was like who the fuck are the you know like who the fuck are the Thunderbolts? I don't care about them. You're trying to push this new superhero team on me. Like, I don't give a shit about them. And furthermore, just because they show up in the Hulk, I'm not going to buy into your bullshit. Because I probably, because this was way after the speculator craze had ended, so I had bought tons of image books and tons of Malibu, you know, Ultraverse books and tons of fucking world's greatest heroes books from dark horse and all this other stuff where i my tolerance for trying something quote unquote new by that point was probably exhausted so the thunderbolts probably you know in this guest spot faced the full brunt of my wrath you know where it was just like fuck those guys i'm not doing i'm not falling for this bullshit again like i'm not gonna do it and then of course like i was saying you fast forward to the wizard article read the article saw the hook, went back and bought, you know, I think maybe three or four of the first issues of Thunderbolts, read them all, and thought, this is a great book, and I kept going with it. But I I just wanted to use this podcast as an opportunity to sort of relive that moment and explain why, you know, my introduction to the Thunderbolts was more like, who the fuck are these guys? Fuck these guys. So that's, that's just my, you know, kind of take on these comics at the time that's cool like i didn't read this issue till years later like i uh, i just went straight into the series and like i i knew that they first showed up in the hulk but like i was like well i guess my thinking was well it was before their identities were like revealed to the reader so it couldn't yeah. have been that important so like and then like i think i just read it years later when it was like part of a collection or something yeah it was collected in the 
I think it was in the Justice like Lightning trade paperback. Yeah, that collected like that in the first four issues, I believe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, it's uh, obviously Peter David was in on the gag. I mean, they they it's it's unlike a lot of tie-in issues where you know how when we read the issues of Acts of Vengeance with Thor and they were introducing the new warriors and we talked about how we kind of felt like you know. Tom DeFalco and Ron Friends probably didn't get the whole character Bible right up front, or they hadn't decided, like, who was the leader and who was the wild card and who who were all these characters going to be in the ongoing series. I kind of felt like this was all taken care of at the outset before Peter David even started working on that book. And also, you know, because it is continuity-laden, I mean, you know, because Moonstone is a Hulk villain... Like, they subtly hint at that with the notion that, like, Hulk recognizes her voice. They they have a line of dialogue where they're like, you've dealt with the Hulk before. You know, like, you you know all about him, like, type thing. Even if it's between the teammates, you know, and not to the mass public. So they are already dropping clues that, you know, will pay off. You know, like like, again, it's not a... You know, these these red herrings or clues are not outright lies, even in this guest spot. Like they are they are, you know, true to what is eventually revealed. Yeah. Like I've always been curious about like people who are reading like all this stuff at the time. And like, you know, did and people who were like very well versed in like the the you know marvel continuity at the time and it's like how many people like figured it out saw yeah figured it out or saw where this was going like because i mean meteorite's costume is obviously different than moonstones but i think i feel like it has a lot of the same visual cues like Mm. especially the mask so it's kind of you know if you knew like your stuff you could probably you could probably make an educated guess and say you know that kind of looks like moonstones costume but you know what's interesting, though? I feel like maybe certain characters' popularity or lack of popularity works against that. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there are some people out there who were, like, really into the Hulk and the Avengers and knew knew their Masters of Evil backwards and forwards and, and read these guest spots and was like, dude, I nailed it the first time I read this. I knew who it was. I don't know any of those people, but... Or, or I've never, you know, heard anybody describe their introduction to the Thunderbolts that way. So there may very well be people out there who figured it out, but it'd be interesting to hear their stories. But I, I kind of feel like I was reading the books that you were basically told were popular at some points, you know, like where, you know, it's like, it's like, you, you know, it's like, oh, you had to read the X-Men. You had to read Spider-Man, you know, but I, I never felt like you, it's like you could read Avengers, but I never felt like you had to read Avengers. And even if I felt like you had to read the Hulk and the Hulk was popular or, you know, whatever the case may be, like, I'm trying to think, and I, I may be wrong, but I don't remember Moonstone really being a major part of Peter David's Hulk run. And that's what, like 10 years worth of comics? You know, like, so so it's like, I, I don't know that, that even if somebody was heavily into comics, like, even if you could say, arguably, Derek was heavily into the Hulk at the time, I, I, I don't know that I knew too much about Moonstone at that point to even make that connection. So, but, 
Yeah, that, you know that I'm, I'm, you know that 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 is probably just me, but you know I'm I'm just kind of stating that as like maybe the obvious, you know, where it's like, oh, if all you know is like X Men lore, then you know the the notion that these guys could be the masters of evil, like you know, I don't I don't know. What about you, Justin? Like, did you did you read this book after you read the issues of Thunderbolts? Did you were you reading the Hulk at all at this point? Like. Yep, I, I had been reading and buying Hulk for many, many years at this point because I'm, you guys know me like I am a huge Hulk fan. And like I, like I uh, alert, uh, alluded to earlier, this was what got me to buy Thunderbolts number one because, you know, like I said, I read that little blurb in Wizard and kind of like Derek, I was like, these guys have no cred with me. I don't know who they are, so I'm not going to buy Thunderbolts number one. I don't care. I want my old, like, you know, Avengers back. You know, I want my old Fantastic Four back. That's how I felt. But anyway, went to uh, the same Alden books, picked up my, you know, issue of the Hulk. And who do I find on the cover? The Thunderbolts. And I was like, okay, like, I hope th- I, I hope Hulk, like, you know, totally, like, creams these guys. Because this is, like, the beginning of the era when Hulk was unpredictable. And it's because of that whole onslaught thing. It's like you know the the energy of onslaught caused Banner to just like separate from Hulk and walk into the you know magical like energy thing that created Heroes Reborn or whatever. So he was really unpredictable for a while. You know, I mean, you see it in this issue. He's like, huh, protect innocence, huh? And then he goes into the dam. Like that kind of shocked me. I was just like, holy cow! Like Hulk, dude. Like what are you doing? Yeah, they were but, really playing with the idea that. You know, he could possibly turn into the maestro, you know, yeah, that's, in, in his ongoing book. Yeah, they played with that. And that's, in fact, that's where the character Janus comes from. She's from that future yeah. imperfect, you know, maestro future where she's like the granddaughter of Rick Jones and whatnot. And, you know, she hung out with the Hulk for a year or two, I think. And then she kind of like quietly, you know, used up all her power and rode off into the sunset. She, I don't think she's even been seen since. But yeah, like it was really this issue that got me to buy Thunderbolts number one because I was kind of, you know, didn't care. And then after reading this, I was like, okay, I, you know, I'm I'm interested. You've got my attention. Like I could, I could probably buy Thunderbolts number one, maybe, you know, if I got, you know, a few extra dollars. And that's that's what led me to, to purchase it. But as far as like, you know, you guys were talking about like I'm sure someone figured out, you know, the whole like Moonstone meteor thing like i did not see that at all and like you know i was i had been reading hulk for many years and i think derek's right i don't think she showed up in peter david's run if she did it was probably early in his run and i was buying back issues of hulk and i at that point i had probably only only read a few comics where moonstone ever even showed up so like i totally had no idea that's who she was yeah like, I, I think, like, honestly, like, looking at that initial lineup of Thunderbolts, like, I think only Meteorite and Goliath were the only ones you could make, like, an educated guess about, basically. Because, you know, like like I said, Moons, like, Meteorite and Moonstone's costumes, I think, have enough similar visual cues. And there's only so many growing guys in the Marvel Universe, so... But, like, the rest of them, like, I don't think anyone would think that, like, Abner Jenkins was Mach 1, like, until it was revealed, so... Yeah, you're like, Atlas is definitely not Black Goliath. <laughs> yeah. 
No. What's some like speaking speaking to someone who was reading the Hulk, Justin? Like, what was the deal with the Hulk being able to be like wounded or something at that time? Like, you know, he was bleeding all over the place. I forget, <laughs> to be honest. Like that Shock. issue four fifty. Like that's where he fought the Maestro, and I think. Didn't they, like, go back in time and Maestro was killed at the original Gamma Bomb that created the Hulk? Yeah. I think, yeah, you know, there, Hulk had some dialogue in this issue where he's like, I've never felt stronger. Why have I been hurt? And I didn't read the rest of 450. Like, I just read the Thunderbolts thing and it was just like, okay. But, yeah, I, I don't remember exactly, but I'm, I'm pretty sure, like, you know, Hulk and Maestro fought. They went back to the original Gamma Blast that killed the Maestro, and I think it re-energized the Hulk. I I forget exactly how he got hurt by that missile or what was going on exactly. So, I am I am of no help to you. My memory fails. <laughs> okay, that's that's why no. I was just curious. Like like you explained who Janus was, so I was I wasn't sure who that was supposed to be either. But like the only thing I knew about this era of Hulk was. You know, it was post-Onslaught, so Hulk and Banner were separated, and, like, I've never read a lot of Hulk, so, like, I only know what happened in other things. I think I think it had something to do with the Maestro. Like, I don't know if it was the fact that the Maestro did get nailed with the Gamma Bomb, and that made him weaker or something, or, or what, but I think it had something to do with that, like the whole timey-wimey kind of aspects because i think i think as the series goes on like his skin gets darker looking like the maestro and like you know they they really do play with the idea that like you know our hulk you know in this is is going down a road that's going to make him the maestro or something i mean otherwise um it's it's a pretty standard, I guess, action issue. Like you know, and aside from the Thunderbolts showing up, like I can see why. Like like I was reading, like Peter David originally had like another like original group of like superheroes or you know something that were going to attack the Hulk in this issue and his original plans. But uh, you know, he he played ball with Kurt Busiek and they used this as the launching pad for the Thunderbolts. So like in that. Like, it, it could have been, like, more generic than it was, I guess. But, you know, it was just a, a, a pretty good action scene, all in all, at least. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, I you know, it's, I, I don't know that it's a, a standout example of, like, the greatest whole comic you'll ever read. But it's not, you know, it's not terrible either. I think it's it's competent, you know. I, I wouldn't... Re- you know, I wouldn't put it on a list of like, you know, my favorite stories ever or anything like that. But I think, like I said, at least the the, the notion that you, you could tell that Peter David was in on the twist ahead of time made for, you know, a better written issue with the characters he was using. And he was also sort of free to, you know, carry on with his own story as well. It's not like it's not like the Thunderbolts being in the book intruded on the current storyline that was going on with the Hulk. It just, they, they happened to coincide 
and and clash but then you know after that point i guess the hulk you know went off to continue on with his own storyline and and you 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 got a few tidbits about the thunderbolts that you know you you may not have wised up to when you were reading the issue at the time but once you read the first issue and got the twist you could go back and kind of go oh check it out like you know that makes sense now you know moonstone would know the hulk you know so you know you'd have those those little tidbits to kind of clue you in onto you know exactly what was going on it's weird like like i could recognize it but it's weird seeing mike diodato's art like back then i guess like considering how he draws now yeah yeah i think he's much improved yeah whoever inks and colors him like i feel like his art is a lot darker now too like mm-hmm. yeah i don't know like he must use like heavier lines or something but but yeah i mean that that's really all i have to say about this issue like it it's it's significant like in a historical context but i don't think it's like significant like you know story wise right right no i i, I completely agree with that yeah, anything else justin or don't think so all right well i think yeah i think that should be it then uh we we covered both uh, significant first appearances of the Thunderbolts in this issue and uh, this episode, so I think that's a good, that makes for a good second episode. Uh, and uh, you know we'll, we're going to continue on this path. Like next next uh, time, we'll probably talk about Thunderbolts number two and uh, a historical issue of someone you know we haven't like uh, decided on yet, but. Uh, you know that's how, what the plan's gonna be like going on. So yeah, Derek, why don't you like plug the rest of our shit? Sure. Um, if you've enjoyed listening to Justice Not Entirely Like Lightning, and you want to check out any of our other shows, we of course have the Fanholes Proper Show on fanholespodcast.blogspot.com. You can find the backlog of all of our shows there. We've got Transformers Tuesdays, Mobile Suit Mondays, Sentai Saturdays. Uh, we've got comics, motherfucker. Do you read them? Where we talk about comics. We've got big in Japan, where we talk about anime, and yeah. And then of course you can find us on all kinds of social media: Tumblr, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We appreciate all the likes and feedback, and we can be streamed on Stitcher Radio, and you can find us on iTunes. So check us out on all those those places. And and if you like, I said, if you enjoyed listening to this, consider checking out all the other shows thank you derek so uh this is mike saying uh goodbye this is derek derek wc all feeders and and this is justin signing off they will never suspect us if we operate out of the pizza parlor (laughs) (laughs) i was lightning before the thunder thunder
was thinking of something else. I, I finished listening to that last uh, Justice League uh, comics motherfucker today. So. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> no, it's funny. Like you were like I I know I knew this title existed before, but like when you were talking about like Justice League Extreme, I was kind of thinking of like. Like in my head, I was just kind of singing Justice League Extreme, and then I was thinking of like Captain Adam, like being in that story. We like it, like <laughs> like a like ridiculously like muscular Captain Adam. All right, so buffer time, buffer time, buffer time. Commercial. You guys gotta go yes. to the bathroom or yeah, I think I'm gonna do that, and then I'll come back. Dumb cough. Don't cough. I must drain my lizard. Screaming Mary. Fixer. <laughs> Knowing techno, he probably like built one of those like super intelligent toilets from Japan or whatever. <laughs> the guy, how can I serve you? Uh, let me tinkle on you. Don't cough. Funny, I was like trying to look up like where that poem came from, and it's like, yeah, the only article I found was like, you know, Curb Music made it up, motherfucker. Like, <laughs> oh, uh, on that uh, Marvel Untold thing that me and Derek did last night, they actually mentioned the fight bolts in that book, like very briefly. Oh yeah, because they, they were talking about how that that era of Marvel comics had a lot of like, you know violence and salacious covers and they were kind of talking about one of those covers it was like i forget what the covers said but it was like you know <coughs> babe blood and brawn or something like yeah. that like all, all those issues had like comics for real men like, yeah stamped on the cover so but the, but the, they were making fun of that i want to read comics for fake men what are those like <laughs> <laughs>